Welcome to the Fearfully Fierce podcast. If this is your first time hanging out with me, I am so glad you stopped by. I really think you're going to get something out of this podcast. And if you've been hanging out with me for a while, welcome back, friend. I'm glad you're here. I can't wait to hang out with you again today. My name is Caitlin Strott, and I am an entrepreneur, a teacher, a special educator, and really all-around giver of good vibes. Here on the podcast, I like to talk about what's on my heart, what I've learned in my business, and things that you guys have told me you want to hear about, and ways you can do that, connecting with me on social media, leaving a review, writing me an email, all ways that we can bring the things you guys want to talk about right onto the podcast. And same with people. I like to bring on people that fit right into that niche that we're trying to create and that are going to bring a lot of value to your lives. And that's done by their stories, by their careers, by their journeys, so that you guys can hear that it doesn't matter where you are in your life and what you're walking through. You can, you can get to those dreams, friend. You can, you can build that empire. You can reach those goals. You just kind of got to dig in and hear from some other people who have done it and take away the little nuggets that they found along the way and implement them into your own story. So we're going to get into today's episode. It's going to have a ton of great information, and I really hope you enjoy it. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Oh, I am so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it is my pleasure. So I think we should just jump into it. So tell everybody kind of who you are, what you're doing, and what's kind of really exciting with everything you're doing right now. Oh my gosh, where do we again? Okay, so I'm Danielle Del Fuente. And, uh, and I founded the Amal Alliance. And uh, first of all, I just want to note that Amal means hope. And it's really relevant because it kind of just makes sense to what we're trying to do. Um, so, you know, there's about 50 million displaced children worldwide that have either been displaced by conflict or war or natural disasters. And unfortunately, the majority of them sit in school in, uh, in refugee camps for about 11 to 17 years. Uh, and in essence, that's their whole childhood. And so not only do they sit in these camps, but they don't have access to an education, uh, to any toys, or really anything to bring them any joy in their life. Um, so what we're trying to do is just provide them with a safe space for them to learn, play, and grow. So we, we use yoga and mindfulness to help heal a lot of the trauma that they've endured. And then just introduce literacy and numeracy in a, in a playful environment where they can learn at their own speed at their confidence level, um, and just kind of meet them where they're at. And uh, so we had a really wonderful pilot program in Greece uh, back in, in May, and um, and now we're replicating the model in Lebanon in October, which is so exciting uh, because obviously we're trying to even make it even bigger and better um, and just really help these children overcome all of that they endured so that they can have an opportunity in life and reach their full potential. So that's huge. I mean, that is just so inspiring. It's there's such a need. I mean, this this program is awesome. So I really want to know where did this come from? You know, what kind of sparked this in you? Where did you see this need and kind of come up with this? And how did this all come about? <laughs> 
Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, work for the U.S. Department of Defense. So I fostered relationships for many years um, with the U.S. government in Middle Eastern countries. And in, in reality, you know, a lot of the, we were doing peace building and capacity building, but the problems were so far, oh, you know, over overstretched or overreached that, you know, it was so visible that many of these uh, places and countries just didn't even understand why they were even fighting. It was just like, oh, we were, you know, taught to hate and we need to, you know, perpetuate this hate. And it was so hard to reach any sort of resolution. So I went back to school and I did a master's on peace and conflict uh, studies. And I realized that if you really hone in on the trauma portion of the aftermath of war, um, you can kind of address things at a root cause and prevent them from reoccurring if you can create almost an attitudinal shift where people can see each other as humans uh, versus us and the other. And, and that's most easily done through children because, you know, children aren't born to hate. They're, they're taught to hate. Um, and, you know, they're just, they're, they're great. And if you're having playing soccer or, you know, dancing, they, they just see each other as, you know, other kids and, hey, let's play Frisbee or, you know, let's grab a racket and play some badminton. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta hurt you. And um, so when I realized that there were so many children that were just basically sitting ducks in a very vulnerable environment, I thought, well, you know, if we don't do something about it, they're going to get trafficked, they're going to get harvested for organs, or you're basically cultivating your next generation of terrorists. And, um, and then at that point, it kind of all clicked. And I was like, well, you know, I can bring in a little bit of what I did with the Department of Defense and what I studied in my master's. And, you know, I'm a kid's yoga teacher on the side. And here in, in the States, um, yoga has been very, very effective in schools as serving as sort of an, an alternative to detention and uh, just teaching them mindfulness to, to really be present and dissolve some of the anger or teach them how to regulate their emotions. So I was like, well, if it's working so well here, imagine how well it would work with children who have really essentially lost everything. I, I mean, all of it's, it's just mind blowing. You know, you just, you basically, I think <laughs> see this in a lot of people who are not only passionate about what they're doing, but their mind works in a way of seeing a problem and then creating a solution in order to solve it. And I think that's exactly what you did. You saw these kids, you saw what they were going through and you realized this is a problem. How can I fix it? And you used all of the tools and skills that you had in order to piece something together that would put them in a better spot. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and, you know, when I started this, um, I, I went to refugee camps in Greece um, before we even had really a product, so to speak, a curriculum. And I, and I spoke to the kids because I thought that was really important. I spoke to hundreds of kids because, you know, I'm not a refugee and I've not lived through war. So I, who am I to tell them what I think is best for them? Um, and at the same time, you know, I think one of the worst things that people can do is give aid, you know, go give them a carrot and then leave because then at the end of the day, you're kind of doing more harm than you are good. So I really wanted to understand the mind frame and what they essentially wanted what they needed, um, if it aligned with what I was trying to accomplish. Um, and I mean, it was unbelievable. After speaking to maybe 15 or 20 kids, they all kept saying the same thing. And, and I'm like, okay, wait, I'm on to something. 
And, and so at that point, it was really easy to piece something together because I really just listened to them and said, okay, how can I create what they really want into something that I know will be good for them? And, and I mean, it was just so easy at that I point. think that's awesome. You know, I think that can sometimes be a missing piece in a lot of projects where you feel you know what's going to be best, but you don't kind you don't do your research and really get on the ground with the people or the population that you're going to be bringing this to, to find out if it really is what they want and more so what they need. Exactly. So I want to kind of break this down to a smaller level. And for anybody who, you know, has a dream or has a problem that they see that they really want to find a solution. So you saw this, you talk about going in, you know, kind of figuring out what these kids were needing and wanting. What was kind of the like big first step for you? You know, you have this idea, you see this need, then what did you do next? Well, so, so the big first step was really creating a corporation. Um, so an organization, a nonprofit organization, essentially is basically a business. The only difference is that the uh, profit goes to the cause. So, um, so I knew that if I wanted to do something at a large scale, like, well, first we had to be a legitimate entity. Uh, so we formed a corporation and then, um, and that's pretty straightforward. Um, there's all these amazing companies like, you know, um, legal zoom, et cetera, that can help you kind of incorporate really quickly. Um, and then the next step was, you know, figuring out how to get your 501 C three. And, you know, I, don't didn't know necessarily how to do that but thank god there's google <laughs> and, so, and um and then just kind of figuring out what needed to be submitted so that we can become a, a a nonprofit and and then just going from there i mean there's lots of steps to forming a, a, a business essentially you need a business strategy um you need a strategic plan for your business development for your communications for your marketing um how are you going to get your message out there um and everything, even as from social media, just opening the accounts. I mean, don't even go far into like creating a whole plan for it. Just just open a Twitter account, open a, an Instagram account, and um, and then just start linking all of the above. And at one point, I mean, it's a lot of small little steps, but once you've kind of done all of them, it they form a big post, a big. Post. So I want to find out kind of how did because did you have any business background before you went into this? Uh, Yes and no. Um, Formally and education wise, I did not have a business background. I studied international relations and, um, and then obviously peace and conflict studies. Um, But I came from a family that there had lots of businessmen. So just kind of sitting around the dinner table and listening and, you know, hearing things. I, I, I had a little bit of business savvy under my belt. Um, but, but really, it's just common sense. I mean, when, when people, you know, tell me that they have these ideas and they don't know how to be, go about it, I'm like, just be bold. Go for it. I mean, believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, you can virtually do anything. The resources are out there, um, whether it's Google or going to, in this case, like the Foundation Center that has all this information for nonprofits. I mean, it's just going to the right location and asking questions. So even if you don't know how to do it, I can guarantee you that you have people in your immediate circle that, you know, one of them knows something about marketing and one of them knows something about business and somebody else has done something else. Just ask the right questions and, uh, and eventually. I think that's huge because 
in this day and age, we do have an abundant wealth of resources all around us, whether it is people or virtual or other business owners or whatever it is, you have people who have the answers. It's just a matter of going out and asking the questions so that you can figure out how to do it. Yeah. And, and for me, for instance, I mean, I wasn't, I had worked in government. I had worked in embassies. Um, I, I didn't necessarily work in the humanitarian sector. So my first step also was to sign up to all the humanitarian conferences to figure out who was doing what and how, and, um, and just kind of learn, learn, okay, well, if you're operating in this country and you're working with these people, how do they do it? Um, and just kind of watch and observe and ask questions and, and, and really just do the research beforehand so that you can lay a proper foundation. Um, because as long as you have the information, even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you're, you're going you're gonna to figure it out. And, um, and then also something that's key is, you know, don't be afraid to ask maybe what you might think is a, a stupid question. Just because it might be new to you doesn't mean it's, you know, just common knowledge. Um, and then you just kind of put it together and say, okay. And I mean, when I originally started this, I perhaps didn't even think it was going to grow to this scale. I thought we were going to be helping, you know, a much smaller audience or, um, you know, I, I, or I didn't even think we were going to be starting in Greece. I thought we were going to be starting in Jordan and Lebanon. Um, but at that point I learned that I needed to write grants and I, you know, figured out how to write a grant. And one of our first grants was for Greece and that, you know, led to starting in Greece. <laughs> so, so, you know, also kind of go where the Absolutely. And I mean, just like you said, you've got to figure out what the people are doing that are in the field that you're in, you know, just because you're starting out and don't know what's going on, put yourself in the room with the people that do know what's going on so that you can figure out what they're doing and work backwards. Indeed. And, and also just, um, network, network, network. I mean, networking is so crucial and it's amazing how many people I've met at conferences that I have walked up to and said, Hey, I really want to partner with your organization and, and somehow made it happen. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, so meet people, talk to people, be curious, um, ask, you know, what are you doing? What's your work about? And, and most importantly, not so much what you do, you know, what are you passionate about and how, how do you go about it? Because if you understand the why of why people do what they do, um, you get a different sense as to what it is they're doing. No longer, they're not just doing accounting or, or, or this. They're, they're doing it because they have a, a purpose and a reason. Right. And if you can connect to someone on that level, then it's, it's, it's so inspiring and it's so much easier to just work together. I mean, I tell everyone I'm all about collaboration. I'm not into reinventing any wheels. I'm not into trying to duplicate efforts. I mean, if we're all trying to work towards something, let's do it together. We're going to get there faster. We're going to do it more cost effective. And we all have something to bring. I, I, I just love this. This is making me just so happy. Because <laughs> I think even though, you know, you're in this kind of nonprofit space, all of the things you're doing applies to any type of business or even any type of work that you're in collaborate with people anything put yourself in the position where you can learn from the people who've done it you know ask questions be bold all of these things apply regardless of what you're doing 
Exactly. You know, and, and I'm constantly learning. I mean, if someone rec- recommends a book to me, I'm like, sure, I put it on my list. I figure out when I'm going to read it and have the time, yeah. but, but I put it on my list. Um, I love going to sort of these seminars where you hear other people that, you know, have done great things um, because it's really important to constantly be inspired and be curious because there is so much out there. And each person I meet, I think, oh, my gosh, it'd be amazing. We could do this. We could do this. Um, and then you just start adding on. I mean, when when originally Amal Line started, it was just to be sort of yoga and books. And that was sort of like we were going to do help, help heal the trauma with yoga and introduce reading. And and now where we're at, we've included dance partners. We have, you know, mindfulness partners. We have creative writing partners. Uh, we have this these partners that do superhero breathing, which, oh which I love. <laughs> so I love teaching people how to breathe like Batman and Spider-Man. Um, and it's and it's incredible because had I not had an open mind, we would have been stuck with yoga and reading, which isn't bad, but maybe it's not as a complete holistic package as absolutely. What we have now. Okay, so I'm sure in all of this, as you said, you're still learning too. So I'm sure you've had some hurdles. So what are some of your you know biggest hurdles that you've come up against, and as I'm sure kind of figured your way through and gotten over. Oh my gosh, where to begin? I think I've had more hurdles than anything. Um, so, you know, I think the biggest hurdle was when I when I started this, nobody was taking us seriously. So obviously I was, you know, networking with the bigger NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations, for those that don't know what NGO is. And um, and everybody's like, oh, you want to help? That's so sweet. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm like, but... Um, I'm like, no, 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 but no, you know, we're legit. We're recognized by the IRS, you know, we're, we're an organization and nobody was taking me seriously. Um, and in order, I mean, had I picked a more challenging project, I probably couldn't have. So in our case, you know, we originally started that the idea was to be inside the refugee camps. So um, that has since sort of evolved. Um, we are a, a gen basically working with the refugee camps, but right outside, <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier. Um, but so the refugee camps are obviously in different countries. They're governed by different entities. So in most cases, it's UNHCR, um, which is a UN branch for the refugees. And so you, you kind of need to be working with them to even have access. But also, it's not so easy to just say, hey, I want to partner with the UN. Um, and Secondly, the, you know, the countries, you know, either you're a registered entity in that country or you can't really operate. So maybe you need to find a local partner that is registered um, and, and, you know, work with them or work through them. And so the first hurdle was getting, you know, a seat at the table because nobody was taking it seriously. And I managed to, you know, join part of the UN Global Compact for Refugees. And I think that was a really big game changer because I attended all the meetings in Geneva um, and, and just kind of made my presence known. And, and at one point, you know, maybe people weren't so friendly at the beginning, but by the third or fourth day, it's like, oh, wait, this, this girl isn't going anywhere. She, she seems to be here still. Um, and so it just kind of forced them to acknowledge the fact that, okay, there was a new player and, you know, maybe we weren't as large or didn't have as much funding as they did, but we were there to help and, and we wanted to be sort of seen as such. Um, and, and then other hurdles, I mean, when, when we kind of got our first grant for Greece, it was also during a time where the Greek government had switched their laws. So 
um, before UNHCR was managing the camps and the Greek government had basically assumed control of the camps and had shut down about half of them. Um, so essentially a lot of the NGOs that were inside the camps left. So it was very, very difficult timing to get in, uh, to be able to do anything. So we had to basically kind of, um, look for partners and look for partners that were going to stay because so many people were leaving and not only look for partners that were going to stay, but others that wanted to work with us and that we knew that we could add value to what they were doing. Um, and so that was challenging in itself. Um, but, but we figured it out, it took a little longer than I had hoped, but we got there. Um, and then just fundraising. I mean, I'm not a fundraiser. I had never in my life asked someone for money before I started this. And, and, and it's not easy. I mean, my hat goes off to fundraisers and just kind of figuring it out. Wait, how do we do a crowdfunding campaign? How do we do a fundraiser? And, you know, the first ones weren't so successful. It was sort of my friends and family. And, and it's like, okay, well, bummer. I put all this work into it. I mean, I could have just called these people. <laughs> so, so how do I, you know, how do we go from friends and family to expand? So, I mean, it's, it's really, it's hard to explain how, how you kind of learn from all of these mistakes, but you just do. And you, you see, okay, well, this didn't go right. So let me, you know, adjust this for the next time. Or, or for instance, you know, we had issues with customs bringing in supplies into Greece. So for Lebanon, I, I refuse to ship anything. So we are buying it in country or we are taking it in suitcases because I don't want to have our stuff stuck in customs for three or four months. Um, and so you kind of you live in your Absolutely. Learn. Now, you touched on it a little bit, but how have you kind of dealt with the asking for help, especially in the financial space and just kind of in the space of asking? I think it's tough to ask for help when, you know, we're in a new space, when it's money can be an uncomfortable subject and I'm sure you're asking for a good amount of money from people. So how did you kind of get over that? Because I'm sure you had to, but kind of walk us through that. Well, so it's interesting. I, I def asking is definitely difficult and it doesn't even have to be financially related. So, um, you know, when, when we started, I was very good at getting people to offer services. So maybe help us with a promotional video or help us with a graphic design and, and give their time and their skills. And all of that has a monetary value. I mean, uh, the company that offered a promotional video was, you know, they, they charge something like, you know, 15 grand for a video. So my goodness, getting that for free is just like, wow, thank you. Um, you know, graphic design, all of this. Um, but, and all of that's fantastic. And I still like welcome any sort of volunteers that have any skills. I am the first person to, you know, open my arms up and be like, yes, let's, let's work together. I, I, I need all sorts of help. Um, but the financial part was difficult because one, you had to realize what exactly were you asking for? Um, because, you know, there's different scales. I mean, this is a product that essentially your return on investment is that you're doing something good for humanity. So it's not like you're buying a car and, you know, now you're going to have this flashy car that everyone's going to see. Um, it's something that makes you feel good on the inside. Um, but that's not necessarily something people want. Some people, some people just don't care. And, you know, they're perfectly content spending thousands of dollars on a handbag. But if you ask them for $20, they'll be like, but, but why would I give $20 to charity? Uh, yep. <laughs> and, and, 
And, and it's baffling because then you have other people that may not have enough money to eat, but they're, but they said, you know, I can sacrifice going to lunch today to give you $10. So, you know, this kid has a better future. And so, so the knowing what you're asking for is first, that's number one. Um, and two, knowing who you're asking what for. So our programs don't have a severe cost. Um, we have no overhead at the moment. Uh, everyone that's in our organization is voluntary based. So essentially all of the money that you're donating goes straight to the cause. And um, which is huge because some other organizations have these tremendous overheads that, you know, virtually no money gets to the cause. Um, and so, but right now we're only operating in one place soon to be two. So at this moment, it costs about $40 to educate a child for the entire year, which is nothing, but, um, but it's also a lot just because we're not operating in so many locations. So once we, you know, move, move into Lebanon and start, you know, um, teaching more children, well, at that point, the cost will go down. Um, But even so, let's just go with the, the number 40. It's, you know, it comes out to maybe what, $253, you know, a month, which is a cup of coffee. Um, but so really kind of demonstrating like, look, you know, we're not asking for big amounts. I mean, if everybody donated $40, um, that, that's a lot of money that can help so many thousands of children, um, or, or, or don't even go so far if everyone donated $5, um, you know, say, Hey, today I'm just going to skip Starbucks and, you know, help someone out. And so, but then the larger corporations obviously want to donate larger funds because for them, it's more about, you know, the cause marketing. Um, And so it really just kind of like, okay, what, what's your aim? Do you really just want to help someone or, you know, does you want your organization to look better and then kind of frame it in a way that it's a win-win where, okay, you know, if your corporation does X, Y, and Z, you know, it will look good helping, you know, these children or, you know, this will bring you more clientele because people are going to see that, you know, you have a charitable aspect to your corporation. And so kind of just delivering the message in a way that it'll be better received. It's all about how you yep, articulate I love it. that. So yeah. what kind of, have you come up against any adversity? You know, I think when you do something different and a bit outside the box, you just inherently get people who want to bring you back down. And so has that happened to you? Have people been just pretty generous and open to what you're doing? What's that been like? Oh, tons of adversity. (laughs) So um, unfortunately, the word refugee itself carries a very negative stigma in the U.S. Um, I'm I'm not sure where it really stems from. Um, And one thing I tell people is, sorry, refugee is just a status. It's a legal status. I mean, at the end of the day, they're just people that migrated and they migrated not because they decided to, you know, pick up and leave, you know, no parent puts their child on a boat of uncharted waters unless the ground they're on is more dangerous. And so they just left, they had to go, they had to flee and it could happen to anyone. I mean, what if there's an earthquake here tomorrow? Or, you know, a, hur- a hurricane. Don't go so far. There's been tons of hurricanes all over Texas and, um, and Puerto Rico. And so the term itself um, has negative stigma. Also, I think that political climate here in the States 
has um, not been a lending hand to, um, you know, respect and diversity of people from other places and and religions. Um, So that's been difficult. Um, But second, you know, what we do is a little bit outside of the box. We do informal education. We do yoga. We do mindfulness. And, you know, a lot of people, I would, I would get meetings with hedge funders or CEOs of like, you know, sort of in the finance sector. And they'd look at me like, you want to do yoga with refugees? Like, you must be crazy. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. There's actually science behind this. And, you know, statistically, most of the children that have been displaced for so long, you know, don't do well in a formal education setting because they just, they, they're not there yet. And, um, and so, so lots and lots of adversity. Um, but, you know, I knew that what I was doing had logic. And it had sense and it had reason. Um, and it was just kind of perfecting the way to present it where maybe you have someone that's entirely skeptical and just saying, hey, I respect that. But I'm going to show you why you should respect this as well. Um, and if you don't, that's fine. But, you know, take it or leave it. But I'm going to show you how it is needed. And there is a demand. Um, and so one of the the biggest game changers was um I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of the international rescue committee um or sesame workshop i don't think so um so sesame workshop is the nonprofit side of sesame oh. street and and they do wonderful wonderful things all over the world i mean they're they're awesome and so they linked up with the international rescue committee which is um one of the leaders in the humanitarian world they're, they're pretty much everywhere Um, and so they're sort of like the Rolls Royce of eight. Wow. (laughs) So, um, and they created a project to help address sort of the social emotional learning that the refugee children, um, need specifically in the Middle East. So like Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan. Um, and, and, and essentially we do virtually sort of the same, uh, same thing and, uh, a little different, but essentially similar. And they received an award from the MacArthur Foundation that came along with a $100 million grant. So once you see that kind of money being poured into something like this, and specifically in the sector, then all of a sudden, you're not so crazy anymore. Because if someone's willing to donate $100 million to an organization that does something so similar, well, then they're, they're, they're onto something. <laughs> so, um, and so it's really just kind of, planting the information uh most most uh, opposition usually comes from absolutely parents. it's it's all about I love what you said about finding a way to present it better because I think it's all about education you know people don't always know what you're telling them so their just knee-jerk reaction is to say no but once you kind of yeah. are able to get get a seat you know as you've said before at the table and be like okay but listen to what you're actually saying no to because if you really know what it is you might change your mind it's fine if you if you don't but let me just explain it a little bit further for you yes so (laughs) so I know you've got all kinds of things going on so tell us kind of what's up next you touched on Lebanon so what's what's happening in October Oh, my gosh. So Lebanon, I'm very excited about, Um, you know, Lebanon is a great country and um, they have actually at the moment more 
refugees and displaced people than they do wow. citizens. I mean, it's they've taken on so many people and it's almost a, a different waves of refugees. You know, they had the Palestinian refugees from before and, and now the Syrians. And I mean, and then, and unfortunately the country is in not the best economic standing. Um, so because of, you know, already having some economic trouble, they, they've really taken on a tremendous burden and, um, and it's causing, you know, issues in the country and, um, and could potentially cause issues throughout the entire region. Uh, so, and there's, so now what we're trying to do in Lebanon, we partnered with a great organization called the Lebanese Organization uh, for Studies and Training. And they have, you know, multiple facilities in, in Lebanon. Um, I, I don't know, maybe 25, 28, I can't remember. And, um, and so we're going to be training their staff as well as some of the local, the local Lebanese and some of the refugee population to be essentially our local facilitators. So the model that we use is quite simple. It's train the trainer. You know, we, we give them the tools, we give them the, the curriculum, we give them everything they need to essentially make the program theirs. Um, and, and also that, you know, that they have the capacity now because, um, you know, if, if the refugees continue to migrate onto somewhere else, at least now they have all of these, you know, tools that they can bust out. And so, so we're going to be training uh, these individuals in October. And then they were gonna, they're going to be imparting the curriculum in their spaces um, shortly thereafter. And uh, we'll be supplying them with all the supplies for the, I call them child-friendly safe spaces. Um, and, 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 and essentially, they're learning centers. Um, we do recreation, and we do all sorts of wonderful learning techniques. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be in, in the Baalbek region, um, which is... Um, sort of a few hours out of Beirut uh, and closer to the Syrian uh, border. And, uh, and I think it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait to hear what happens with. So (laughs) I know you've got a lot happening and before we, you know, we find all the places where we can get in touch with you and all of that good stuff. I ask everybody who comes on five questions that I just kind of like to know from all the people that I talk to. So they're a little bit for me. Okay. okay. <laughs> if you could meet one person, who would it be? Oh my gosh. I, that's a tough question. I could meet one person. Who would it be? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'd probably go with George Clooney just because he's so cool. I love that. <laughs> and I've always just loved him. And I mean, it has absolutely nothing to do with what I do, but I just love him. Love it. Okay. <laughs> what time do you go to bed? Um, I go to bed late. I am a night owl. So usually I go to bed around like 11, 30 to 12. Okay. I'm, I'm an early bird. I'm an early to bed, early to rise. So all you people who are night owls, <laughs> I, I respect you being able to stay up that late. Okay. What's your favorite food? Ooh, I love, love Mexican food and Persian food. So I'm actually half Mexican and half Persian. And, uh, and I guess I must be very biased because they're my two favorite types of food. So, so all, but I'm, but I'm also very picky. It has to be very traditional and Well, well of course, that's what you grew so up with. <laughs> exactly. Okay. If you had a hundred dollars to go shopping right now, where would you go and what would you buy? 
Well, right now I'd probably go to a bookstore because I've been looking at books for the past couple of days trying to organize what um, library we're going to build. So I'd probably go to a bookstore to buy a whole bunch of children's oh, books. Oh, I love it. What's the couple that are on the list? <laughs> um, uh, the I Am Peace, I think, is phenomenal. Um, and then I can't remember. It's the one with the little colorful dog. I think it's Oh, like okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so there's, I've, I've been sort of putting all these books on this list and, and I'm just like, okay, wait, let's see, trying to figure out what translates into other languages. So I'd probably be in the foreign section of a book. I love it. Okay. <laughs> and then our last question. So, you know, the podcast is called Fearfully Fierce and that's something that I, I really feel passionately about. And I, I know we've talked about that name a little bit. So what is something that you've done where you have felt fearfully fierce? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I cold emailed the Vatican. Wow. <laughs> and I got a response. So, so um, well, no, I do a lot. I think most of what I do is fearfully fierce. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very bold. And, um, and I'm, and, and if you meet me in person, it's sort of like, it's, it's understood why <laughs> you're like, oh yes, yes. You're not shy right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I could go on and on about things that I've done that are fearfully fierce, but if one example, I cold emailed the Vatican, I was like, Hey, I want to partner with you. Guys. Wow. That <laughs> so. is, I, that's ballsy. I gotta say that's awesome. That is a good one to note down for being fearfully fierce. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So tell everybody where they can connect with you, follow with you, volunteer, donate, give us all the things. Yes. Yes. Okay. First of all, my information, I'm available via email always. My name is Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E, at Amal Alliance, A-M-A-L Alliance.org. Please visit our website. We have tons of information on there, but as well as a donate button. Um, so Amal, A-M-A-L, alliance.org. Um, follow us on, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. All of it is the same, uh, Amal Alliance. And, uh, and really, we have anywhere. You can donate on Facebook. You can donate through our website. Um, you can shoot me an email. We'll give you a call and we'll do a swipe on Square, whatever is easiest for you. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, it's just... You know, one of the things that I, I, I say, I speak a lot at different events, and one of the things I say is, you know, what frightens me more is seeing a generation of children that are unable to dream. So let's make sure that we don't have an, a subsequent generation that just has no dreams, no aspirations, and no no employable skills to be able to reach their potential. I, this, that's fantastic. I know everybody's going to be heading over to check that out and give whatever they can because... We don't, we want to, we want this to be a step in the direction of making sure everybody is able to dream in one way or another. Yeah. And no amount is too small. Just remember whatever good you do always comes back. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with me. And this is, you're doing such great work and I'm so glad that we were able to educate some more people about it so we can put some more of those good vibes that way and put some more into these kids. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm most welcome to come back anytime. I I love what you're doing. And 
Uh, and hello, everyone. Uh, yes, and we will. We can't wait to see what's happening in Lebanon in October. Okay, I'll awesome. Talk soon. <laughs> Bye. I am so glad you guys got to hear from Danielle today because she is doing some incredible work that more people need to know about. And I love that she took the time out of her day where, you know, she's sharing this curriculum with other people in other countries and, you know, pulling up her seat to the table to take the time to talk to us and share about what she's doing and why she loves it and why it's so important. And it's very inspiring, you know, to have that reminder of just because your seat isn't at the table doesn't mean you do not deserve to be there and that you can't go get a chair from another room and put put it there to sit down. And that's sometimes what you have to do. You have to make people see you and listen to you. And, you know, it takes a little bit of practice. It takes a little bit of guts and... That's what it takes sometimes. So I hope that you got something out of this. I hope you will go over and check out, you know, Amal Alliance and give whatever you can. You don't need a coffee today. You probably have a coffee maker at home. Or maybe you get two cups a day and you can make one at home and you can give a little bit to this organization so that they can go on and they can go spread this message to everyone else who is wanting it and we can get the word out there so that more people know what's going on and can give themselves so that we can give these kids the things that they need. I hope you enjoyed this and I will see you back here next week, friends. Thank you.